Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. This episode of Working Dog Radio is brought to you by HITS Training and Consulting. Next year, August 13th through the 16th in Chicago, Illinois, the number one police canine conference in the world hands down the most amazing instructors there wait till you see the vendor show if you thought last year was big you haven't seen anything there's going to be vendors from every facet of the canine industry giveaways everything you can think of great times during the day great times at night ted and i'll be there working dog radio booth gonna have a good time hits 2019 don't wait register now hits canine.net uh, it's Ted. Eric and I make no bones about the fact that we love Dogtra. We've been using them even long before they were sponsors of the podcast. Uh, my favorite is the 1900S hands-free. I typically have the remote in my pocket, and I just put the other remote inside my glove or on my wrist, and I can use that thing all day long. It's fantastic. Dogtra is going to continue to be a sponsor of the podcast, and because of that, you guys get a discount. So if you head to dogtra.com... Any unit over $200, you'll get a 10% off if you use the discount code WDR10. That's Working Dog Radio 10, WDR10, dogger.com. Go get it. This episode of Working Dog Radio is being brought to you in part by RayAllen.com. RayAllen.com, your one-stop shop for everything dog-related. Not just canine, not just search and rescue, not just civilian sport, and not just pets. All of it. Everything related to a dog you can find at RayAllen.com. Be sure to mention the discount code WORKINGDOGRADIO for 10% off your next order. RayAllen.com for all things dogs. TrueScentK9.com. That's the letter K, the number nine. TrueScentK9.com. Actual explosive odors suspended in silica, not a pseudo. Hit them up. TrueScentK9.com. We here at Working Dog Radio are so proud of our relationship with Southern Coast Canine. Bill Heiser does some amazing work down there in Florida. Go see for yourself all they have to offer at www.southerncoastcanine.com. That's Southern Coast, the letter K, the number nine dot com. Southern Coast Canine. Better training, better results, better dogs. I want to take a second to talk about equipment selection for patrol work. One of the most important aspects of teaching and maintaining patrol functions is your equipment. Proper equipment selection and fit makes all the difference in the world when it comes to creating and maintaining patrol and sport dogs. This episode is possible in part with support from Arno at ALM Suits. Because of the importance of this equipment, I use ALM Suits exclusively. I've owned one for about five years and use it almost daily at the kennel and have caught thousands of dogs and tens of thousands of bites. Arno was able to make a great fitting suit for my lanky ass and I couldn't be happier with it. Arno can take your measurements and make you a suit each and everything he does in his shop in Vegas. Between the top-notch materials and the handmade aspect, you're getting some of the best bite equipment in the world from ALM. The suits come in a full range of weights, from training weight to comp weight, which is what I use because I'm not a pussy and you shouldn't be either. He offers some Cavalier inserts to make the thinner suits a little safer and more comfortable, plus they keep your tattoo artist happy. He makes a full range of toys and reward tugs also. Be sure to hit him up at ALNK9Equipment.com That's the letter K, the number 9, or Arno, A-R-N-O at ALMSuits.com Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO for 10% off your first order tell him you heard it here now go get bit all right everybody welcome back working dog radio eric stambro here coming to you from ohio uh, freezing cold ohio 
as always, my partner, Ted Summers in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Ted, how are you? Man, I am doing about as well as you. Although uh, we escaped the uh, massive snowstorm that seems to be blanketing everything like north of I-70. So, uh, yeah, it's just been cold and fucking rainy and my backyard is a swamp. So other than that, I've got handler schools going on, a bunch of dogs going on. A uh, new uh, SWAT dog for a SWAT-specific dog for a fairly large uh, SWAT unit on the East Coast, which should be an interesting project because they have a lot of things that they want. And that's kind of a deal that we're going to talk about a little bit tonight. And we've talked about a lot is the certification stuff. And there is not really a national SWAT certification. In fact, the only one that's closed is uh, Cali Post, and it's really vague. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Yeah, and um, I mean, it's kind of an outline, but uh, they were really specific about some stuff that they wanted. So um, I'm on the hunt for the specific dog and uh, some very, very, very specific things, which should be fun to do. So um, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting project, but I got a handler here from Louisiana and one from Missouri. I'll have a guy's here from four states next month, so we're getting those dogs ready, and it's just been a nightmare because... Scott's been sick and the weather sucked and nobody wants to track and wearing fucking boots and you're tracking and it's a mud. And so, yeah, but so what have you been up to? Well, going back to what you were saying, I, th- I thought I remember seeing several years ago that Napwater was coming out with a, a SWAT certification and it was super crazy hard. I don't know if that ever, if that ever came to fruition. Um, I'd heard like even the guy who came up with it couldn't pass it or some ridiculous shit, but that could mm. be just rumors. You never know. So yeah. here's something funny. So this is, we're recording this on a Monday. This past Saturday, we got a, some snow and it was, it was a, uh, pretty wet snow. So I come to my, I come back to my house. I'm in my truck. I got that new Ford truck that I'm about to get wrapped and everything. My driveway is a hill going down. So it goes down. The, the garage, you go straight into the garage or you can go right to a parking area. Uh-huh. So I'm creep, I'm inching and creeping down in the driveway because I hadn't shoveled or anything. Creeping, creeping, creeping. I go to turn towards the parking area and the truck slips and slides down the hill and my brand new truck smashes into my garage. <laughs> oh, so it, um, it did, it dented the hood a little bit um, and the bumper, but wrecked my garage. Uh, I have an insurance agent coming out Thursday to take a look at it. I don't, I don't know if it if it messed up the foundation. I know the brick veneer is all screwed up. It's all going to have to get replaced. Um, so, Fuck. so then I was stuck and I I was trying to I put I had in four wheel drive and I'm backing out and I'm sliding and I'm trying to adjust and move sliding and I slid into the retaining wall and put a gouge a little mini gouge in my driver's door at the bottom of it. So so much for a brand new fucking truck. <laughs> Um, oh, come on, that, 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 that was horrible, freaking horrible. And then we had to be somewhere. It was, it was just terrible. Um, oh, other than that, I got, um, I got uh, a couple of working dogs in the kennel, a bunch of pet dogs. I got a uh, King Corso last night or yesterday um, that was had some reactivity. Well, there's a little bit more forward aggression in this dog than I expected. And uh, <laughs> last night was a was a late one dealing with him took three of us to get him in a muzzle which was my fault when they did their drop off he was cool man so everything was cool with that dog <laughs> yeah, the fucking owner is standing so I, there I, I put him in the truck without the muzzle on and uh, he decided in that truck was Alamo and it was going to be his last stand 
and that motherfucker was in there for like 12 hours. Uh, I took him out. I took him everywhere with me, man. And I'm like, by the time we're done, dude, by the time I get home, you're gonna, we're going to be buddies. And uh, we get back and he was like, nope. Not so, today. Right. So uh, it didn't really go all that well for him. I mean, he ended up in the muzzle. He slept in it. I got there this back to the kennel this morning. He's, he's wide awake, but he was firing up. But here's the key. So we're, I'm dealing with, he's growling at me and barking every time I walk by him and I go, uh, I go to the, I'm done with all the other dogs and I go to his kennel and I stand in the front of it and he's growling, but he's not punching forward like he was the night before. And I told him, I just, cause they, the owner told me he knows a couple commands. So I told him to sit and he sat and I'm like, ha ha, I gotcha. So he let me put a slip lead on him with no, without last night, the night before or last night he was trying to eat everything, the slip lead, everything I was using, um, take him outside, break him, get him back in. I did like four or five times this morning. He was cool, man. So I left him at the kennel though. He, I'm not feeding him, left him at the kennel. I come back. He's starting a little bit, but way less of the growling. By the time I was done with him this afternoon, his, um, his prong collar's back on him. I put a different flat collar on him and I took his muzzle off and now we're buddies. Yes. Well, I don't know about buddies. We'll, we'll find out when I go back in here to put him to bed if he's ready to fuck me up. I had a dog that came in from Holland like that that I'm surprised we managed to get him in the fucking kennel. He tried to eat us like every time I walked by and I finally was just like, fuck this dog. So I made every dog around him down before I went in or one of the other kennel techs went in to feed him. And he and I knew he knew how, right? So he just wouldn't do it. And I'm like, fuck you then. You'll eat at some point. And he, <laughs> you came out there the third day after he hadn't eaten. And he was like, he was down in the kennel waiting on us. And I was like, oh, really? You don't say, sir. And I mean, he nothing like no aggression, nothing. He was like, all right, man. I mean, you know, if that's how you're going to play it, it's cool. It's cool. So like everything about that dog, though, like we went to cheat to like start doing outing and then start doing anything. He was like, yeah. His default reaction was to fucking bite people. He's a fucking awesome patrol dog. He's still working, but man, fuck, that was that first two and a half weeks was nerve wracking. Yeah, fuck. And, we, and we can talk about this with our guests too. But I noticed right. uh, a lot more with the pets where you know they they have like this dog here is 140 pounds, right? Muscle, like <laughs> I'm like, dude, you and I you and I need to get along because fuck, man, that's a lot of dog, right? So, but as we notice. Um, they have these dogs have learned to growl, and that that their owners or whoever are afraid of them, or or leave them alone. And right. then, but when they come to say to someone like me, they growl at me, and it doesn't work. So then their next, some of them give up. Then so then the other ones, their next thing is baring teeth. When I keep coming or I keep doing whatever I'm doing, that doesn't work. They either give up then, or they try to bite you. And when I usually find the biting, when that doesn't work, that seems to be the, they're like, ah, fuck it. Okay. Whatever, dude. I guess we'll, we'll get along. I haven't, I haven't had any aggressive dogs that I've trained that after the biting stuff didn't work, that they kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. They usually just or they tried least it all. Like, I didn't move. Put, I didn't give them a reaction. And you know what I mean? They put teeth on you slightly, but then they give up when you're like, oh, and you don't react. You're like, you mother. <laughs> like you. Well, I have my, I have my whole, I have my whole bite suit on with this dog last night. It, we, he bit me probably 20 times last night. 
<laughs> so it was on, dude. It was freaking on. But like again, he still ended up asleep with the muzzle on, you know, tired. I, and dude, I slept like a baby last night. I was wiped out. We're fighting this dude at 1030 in, at night. I do not envy you at all. No. <laughs> but anyways. Fuck all right. That. Enough of that shit. Um, shit. Oh my God. So as everybody knows, um, <laughs> I'm I'm on Instagram, Van S K9. Dot, or Van S Kane on Instagram. You're on Instagram. Yeah. At Ted uh, underscore Light K9. Yep, Ted underscore Summers. Yep. We have our uh, working underscore dog underscore radio on there. Please go follow us. Check us out on Instagram. Um, but I follow a lot of trainers on there. I'm always trying to learn from different people. Um, I, you know, I'm a different trainer now on the police side than I was when I first took over. And then I'm definitely, now that I'm doing the pets, I'm definitely completely different in almost all aspects of training from what I've learned and things that I wasn't really doing uh, before. So one of the reasons why is our guest, I uh, follow him on Instagram and I started watching and when, as soon as they Instagram put up those questions thing, you know, where those, where you can ask questions and then the people post it. Um, I did it once or twice and I didn't really care for it. I was just didn't really follow up on all that much, but I started watching our guest and I'm like, man, he answers a lot of questions, um, in a row, like 10, 15, 20 questions, give some pretty, you know, you got what, 10, 15 seconds to give an answer and he puts pretty good, but he suffers no bullshit questions and no fools on there. And it's, and it seems like a lot of the repeat questions, but if you listen to it and read and, and watch it, it'll actually make you think and make you at least, if you're interested, go and research kind of what he said on his answer. Um, so then I started watching his Instagram live stuff and I was like, yeah, man, I, I get it. I get what he's saying. This guy's pretty cool. His, Ted, I mean, you being the purveyor of facial hair, this guy's <laughs> mustache is like... <laughs> It's got its own, it should have an Instagram page, Um, the mustache. It's actually, I don't know what it is with you facial hair dudes. It actually becomes a part of like, of every part of your life and conversation. So anyways, we'll take a second here and introduce from the world of Instagram and dog training, uh, my friend KK, the letter, I'm going to spell this out for you guys so you can go follow him right now. Hey, the letter D, Matthews. KD Matthews, how are you? I am awesome. I am awesome. What an introduction. And the, the thing <laughs> yeah. is, I, I'm at the point now where I want to shave the fucking mustache off, but I can't because it right. won't let me shave it. It, it, no. it completely <laughs> has its own entity, um, just as you described. And now I'm stuck with the thing. No, so, I, I, uh, I believe me, my mine is the same. Well, I'm assessed my beard. My beard is the same way. Like, you know, it, it definitely is like, oh, don't, 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 don't do that. Don't shave, don't shave, yeah. don't, don't do it, don't do it. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm telling you, your mustache, I couldn't grow that. If I started 30 years ago, I wouldn't have that mustache. It's just... The only um, person I've seen that is on social media that has one kind of like his is Hagner, who Eric, you've met, who oh, yeah, is Hagner's kind of our go it. <laughs> fucking shit. Sean's Sean's is bad, and then my buddy Trent, who was one of he was a ranger handler, uh, is one of our good friends, and Trent's fucking dirt squirrel is just straight 
like creepy. They would arrest him for just walking around in public because they knew that he had some kind of weird child porn or something on his phone. So uh, it's bad. And he loved it. And I'm <laughs> like, dude, you've got to get rid of it. He was like, oh, it's great. I'm like, mm, not so much. <laughs> yeah. Don't judge here, big beard. Um, <laughs> no, don't judge. <laughs> so, so what we're going to do is we're going to talk to, uh, we're going to do our usual thing here. We're going to get, uh, uh, Katie's, um, bio and, and where we come from. He does, uh, a lot of aspects of dog training, uh, pets. There's some working dog. There's some, uh, decoy work I've seen. Um, there's just kind of a, a, a wide variety, but what we're really going to focus on today, once we get into it, guys, is, is a lot of obedient stuff and kind of break down some things that you'll, you've heard other trainers talk about, but they kind of brush over it and they don't really explain it. Either A, they, they don't know, or B, they assume that you know. And so we're going to kind of get into that and see how all of that stuff, even from the pet world, translates into the working dog world. Because working dog still has the word dog in it. Pet dog still has the word dog in it. So um, it, it's not like there are some whole different species. So with that... Uh, Katie, let's go ahead and start, kick it off and tell us all about yourself and what led you to today. Oh man, it's, um, it's been a journey guys. Um, and not the typical one from when I've spoken to, um, basically everyone I meet in the dog world, especially the working dog world. Um, my story kind of sticks out a little bit. Um, when I was a little, little kid, I had a dog like jump in my baby carriage and jack me up. And I had one of those moms that was like a bubble wrap mom. So at that point, anytime a dog would come around, she'd like pick me up and take me away. And well, we know what that does. I was freaking scared of dogs. That just grew and grew and grew. And finally, I think it was like around 12 or 13, and I had a really embarrassing experience with my father with me behaving in a less than manly way around a dog. And we said, you know, enough is enough. You know, you got to do something about this. And I'm also a, a very open about the fact that I'm a freaking nerd. So, I mean, now mind you, this is back before the days of Google and the Internet. If you wanted to learn something, you went to a card catalog and one of those things called a library and you found those things called books with paper in them and words. I spent every weekend at the library learning everything I could about dogs. I was officially obsessed. Um, by the time I was 15, I, I got my first dog. I got a, um, a black lab from some pretty heavy field trial lines. Um, a lot of duck dogs, a lot of goose dogs in his lineage. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna do this thing. And let me tell you, I fucked that dog up. Like, I had no idea what I was doing, man. I mean, the first book I read was Kohler. So it was a choke chain and a leash and lots of trachea damage to that dog. It was, I felt bad because I wasn't getting the results that I wanted. Um, I knew the dog wasn't understanding what I wanted. I got really lucky and we had a family friend who was a, um, he was a hunting guide. So he had a kennel and usually about four or five labs. And on weekends, he would go out to a hunting camp, drop a bunch of quail, pheasant in the morning, then take the clients out. His dogs would flush, retrieve everything. So he wanted my dog from the day he saw him. So he took my dog 
but he also took me. And that's where it started. Because I can't explain to you guys um, the pain involved in giving up a dog because you know you failed. Um, there's a picture on my Instagram way back of me and the day I got rid of him. And I mean, I had tears coming down, man. It was horrible. And that really kicked off to where I am today in terms of wanting to learn everything I can that has to do with dogs and then learning how to share that information with others so that other people don't have to go through that experience. I think one of my greatest strengths is I'm not a natural. I I don't have that touch. Like when I walk into a room, dogs don't just suddenly behave differently. And we all know people who are like that. That's my strength because it helped me to have to figure things out and problem solve from pet dogs to when I first got into sleeves to when I got into a suit to, I mean, everything. I had a problem solve it. I had to figure it out right down to, I was listening to your story, Eric, about the, the dog. And Ted, you're talking about that, uh, the Mal, you kind of from Holland. It, I, the whole time you guys are talking, I'm thinking about the first Mal that I finally had to hold the leash on. And let me tell you, that was a lot of problem solving. <laughs> that wasn't being a tough yeah. guy. That was a four pack of Natty Ice Tall Boys and figuring some things out. Um, so the, the journey's been long, it's been interesting, and it's been incredibly fun. That's crazy. You know, it's funny, uh, when we talked to uh, Mike Ritland, he said that uh, when he started getting these dogs into the Warrior Dog Foundation, you know, he knew some stuff about dogs, but when he started getting these these dogs that had a lot of problems and they were killers, he goes, you learn a lot about dog training, dog behavior, and how to survive and what yep. to do by like, having to get quick, that like. dog off the plane or off the truck and moving them in and out of your, you know, out of your kennels and things like that. So, yeah. so like right now, um, like what's your, what's your daily routine look like as far as dogs go? What, what's, uh, what's your bread and butter? Right now, everything's, it's changing. I'd say the past six months have been a massive transformation for me. Um, it's, well, right now I'm not handling any, but that will change probably within a month. I just got a new, uh, moved into a new home literally last week and I've been setting up kennels all this week. We'll be doing some board and train stuff here within a month or two. Haven't done that in a while for logistical reasons. So what I've been focusing on, my bread and butter, what I've doubled down on is um, a lot of educational stuff. I just opened a new business this year, uh, Socratic Canine, with the concept of bringing the teaching back to training. Working with so many pet owners has really made me have to figure out human communication. Right. So right now I have clients all over the world. Um, I finally started embracing technology and found that I could interact with far more than many people online than I could in person. I have clients in Ireland, Belgium, all over the United States where I do online coaching. And a lot of it, guys, it isn't even dog training. It's like education. It's teaching people learning theory, which I know a a lot of pet trainers kind of steer away from that stuff, either because they, like you mentioned, they don't understand it or they don't want to use the big fancy words. Um, I take that as a personal challenge. So no, I'm going to teach them the big fancy words and I'm going to teach them how to employ that in their daily life. So the bulk of my business right now 
education of dog owners. Uh, I do have some face-to-face -face clients that I deal with here. Um, I just moved out of Hillsborough County, Florida, which if you guys are familiar, Hillsborough County became famous last year for being the first county to legislate dog trainers. Yeah, um, I saw that. Yep. Ugh. Yep. Yeah, it was bad. It, it was really bad. Um, you have to go through a... a man, I'm not even going to get into it. It's just freaking bad. <laughs> yeah, so I said, I, screw I Hillsborough it. County. It's, it's pretty fucking... It's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, Ivan Balabanov was very vocal because he's, he's local in the area and he was trying his best to to rally the troops and it was it was all in vain um so doing face-to-face -face training in hillsborough county i was like i'm not paying the fee i'm not going through it they wanted you to uh very anti training tools um mm -hmm. so i said all right well you know, I was doing the social media thing and constantly having people sending me messages. You know, Eric talked about my Q&A and that's only that's only a fraction of the stuff I get on a daily basis. And when people started like sending me thank you presents and thank you notes and letting me know how something that I said changed their life with their dog, I'm like, all right, well, the market is talking to me. It's time for me to listen. Um, and right now I'm in the process of building some online coursework to kind of take the weight off of me because what I do now is very labor intensive. Um, you know, five hours a day minimum at nighttime, usually going through videos that my clients send me, um, answering messages, answering emails, talking to all my students. Um, so I'm trying to build now some like self-run just like an online course, um, helping people prior to getting a dog, helping people when they just got a dog, and just a lot of focus on education. And I've been sneaking back into the bite suit again recently, so <laughs> trying yeah, to get back never, into that you, a little bit. Right, you can't just get rid of it. So, uh, and, and Ted and I have talked about this before, and I talk about this with a lot of people. If you're, and if you want to be in dog training okay so we'll stick to the working dog side at first so if you want to be the working dog training like you actually want to be a trainer and and do handler classes and train you actually really really have to be interested in human psychology um you really have to understand how you have to learn how people learn you know that a lot of guys i find that are really like pretty smart guys that uh you know are pretty aggressive cops and type a personalities and have never really had an issue with anything they've learned on the job come to a canine school and pretty quickly they're like holy shit i i thought i i thought i like grabbed the leash and the dog did all the work and then before they know it they're struggling and they're struggling to learn because they're in a class of four or five guys and if you're the instructor and you're not paying attention and you're not seeing that this particular person doesn't learn by you telling them they learn by physically showing them or they must i've had guys where i had to give them instruction and then make them repeat it back to me you know and i would tell them listen i'm not talking to you like you're stupid but i can tell that when i tell you stuff five seconds later it's gone so you have to break down each person besides you know i tell everybody you know we've all heard the thing uh, work the dog that's in front of you you have to work the handler that's in front of you as well and i find with on the pet side 
because of the way we do board and trains, you know, you do two, three weeks or whatever, whatever your system is at the end, it may be in the middle. And at the end, you're doing a couple few hours with the, with those folks. You gotta, you gotta figure that out pretty quickly. So on your online stuff, is that going to be like existing clients? That's a, it's part of a packaged thing when they come to you. Um, it'll be that as well as brand new clients. Um, I'm really trying to target people who are in search of getting a dog or people who have just gotten a dog because that's, that's the sweet spot, man. I mean, you guys know, like first impressions are everything with a dog. I mean, when you start out, whether you're, you're a, a canine handler and you go to pick up your dog and, you know, either take them home or however your department has it you know, set up that first day is so huge to what the rest of your relationship is going to be. So I, ideally, I would like to really grab people who are, they've just gotten a dog and things aren't going the way they want or the way they, they think they're supposed to go or people who are in search of a dog because a huge issue in the pet world, huge, is selection. And you guys, um, you know, both of you have immense experience with the concept of selection. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when you're talking uh, about working on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Understatement of the freaking century, right? <laughs> um, yeah. But the thing is, it's just as important in the pet world. It's just a different context. But success starts with selection. And trying to create uh, resources for people who are looking to get a dog to help them at least avoid the really, really bad decisions. You know, I'm limited with, you know, you know people get sucked into the cuteness factor and, and making decisions on all the wrong reasons. But if I can somehow offset that and at least get them going in a direction that's going to lend itself to greater chances of success, then I've done my job. I've, I've left my mark. I've helped out a dog. And I guess, yeah, I helped out a person. Um, but really, I'm helping out a dog by getting into a home of an educated owner. So the online work... It, it, it works for existing people. It works for brand new uh, people that I've never worked with. Um, Instagram brings me a ton of business of people who've just found me through the live videos, um, wanting to go through my coaching program. And we start out with five hours of lecture. I don't even want to see their dog. I don't even care about their dog. Like, no, I have to teach you. Like, this is a human thing. This is about getting you up to speed. You're yeah, your dog's it, teacher. I think I said that before on here. One of the things that I'm constantly like, because I don't do a lot of pet stuff, and that's by choice because it's a good choice. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it is and it isn't because I mean, by I mean, at the end of the day, you know, those people want to be there, you know, and hopefully they're there for the right reasons, and you know, they're. And same thing with sport people, for that matter. I mean, some of the best trainers I know are sport trainers. In fact, the best trainers I know are sport trainers. Um, the best sport trainers in the country or the world that I know and interact with a lot will put my ass to shame and will put any average fucking nap. Where we're not going to say that. I'll edit that out. Any <laughs> average canine trainer to shame just in general in terms of shaping and, and like proofing a behavior. But my thing with canine handlers is this that 
you know, they're being paid to be there. They have to be there. They went through a selection process, hopefully, to be there. They beat out other people. Uh, I you laugh, but I mean, normally they sit. I do. They and Eric can tell you some horror stories too. But you know, I mean, for the most part, these guys are quote unquote professionals, and generally, canine guys are usually better than everyone else in terms of just your average patrol guys. So they have either proved themselves to be very good at having decision-making ability or very good at they're very mature and very, you know, they're very trustworthy with a tool that is designed for an, a, a lot of force and they have to exercise a lot of decision-making capabilities. So when those guys show up, you know, it, I mean, it's very serious. And I kind of have a very serious talk with those guys of like on the day one. And I'm like, this is the implications of that. And I realized that, you know, that pet people aren't that way. And that, it, but nonetheless, I mean, I've had more pet people argue with me where they'll come to me and they'll say, well, I want to do this. And I'm like, well, you can't, or, you know, I'll say I'll, I'll have some reason why their expectations may be a little off or whatever else. And they're like, well, so-and-so said this and I, and my knee jerk reaction is like, well, fuck you then go talk to them. I don't mean I don't say it exactly that way, but I'm just like, well, fine, go talk to them. I don't care. <laughs> I'm just like, I've got 40 fucking dogs here that I'm being paid to train already. I don't need, you know, you breathing down my throat, you know, and that's the thing. And, and I mean, and that's the deal. And my, my biggest hurdle with dealing with, with non pet people is, uh, or, or I mean, dealing with pet people is dealing with expectations and dealing with the required level of work. With canine guys, like I have a checklist. This is what the dog has to do, not only to pass certification, but this is what the dog has to do to, to be successful and safe in an actual deployment. This is what you have to do. And if you don't do this, you're going to fuck something up. And typically everybody takes it very seriously, but pet people come in and they're like, I want to do this and I want to do that. And I'm like, no, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Like at all, you know, the, the biggest shit shows I've had, um, have been like personal protection dogs and have been, um, pet dogs that are, people are just like, well, I wanted the dog to do this. I'm like, you didn't say that. I mean, how am I supposed to know you wanted him to learn how to make a martini? I didn't know that. I mean, like, <laughs> what do you want me to do? So yeah, I mean, kind of talk about the, uh, managing the expectations on that. end. so you have like this process of where you're teaching people and coaching and everything else. And then how do you manage the expectations? Like, how do you tell somebody that a dog can't be an astronaut? What do you mean they can't be an astronaut? Oh, exactly. So <laughs> I, I, I mean, just told I someone. I just told someone yesterday <laughs> they can. You're freaking calling me out <laughs> here, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> shit, edit that out, please. Um, <laughs> no, it, it all starts with my. I have like a grooming process, man. Like when I get started, and what I've been spending more and more time on is taking on these really challenging owners. Um, I'm one of those sickos that when I find something is difficult, I try to do a lot more of it and punish myself because it's only going to sharpen my sword. Um, and I, I'll tell you, dealing with those expectations up front is just as you said, it's a massive freaking challenge, man. Um, the way I navigate that now is before we even talk about specific behaviors and how we're going to resolve them either together um if it's a board and train it, you know if i'm doing it um it's i put everybody through a crash course and that, that's what i call it like it's my canine crash course and dude it's five hours long 
like <laughs> seriously, no exaggeration. It's five hours long. And I tell people up front, this is what we're going to do. And if they don't want to do it, good, awesome, because I don't want to work with them because it's not going to work. They have to already be in a state of mind where they want to learn. Otherwise, I can't teach. I can't teach an unwilling student. And I'm not going to waste my time with the person who has this completely jacked up notion that they're just going to show up and things are magically going to happen. So not when I got a line of people that are begging me to sit down and just listen. I'm like, no, my time is for them. So I don't have to deal with that a problem in terms of those expectations as much as I used to. I used to struggle with it. I used to stutter with it. I used to pussyfoot around it. And like, how do I, how do I explain it to them without running them off? And like with anything else in life, you learn the more direct you are and the more honest you are, it, things just tend to work out more. You know, you're confident with what you're saying. You're confident with what you're explaining and it just comes off and people fall in line. But it all starts with, all right, yeah, what do you want? Okay, great. Here's what you're going to get. And the analogy I use to explain exactly what you're talking about is the pet owner comes to you as if they just like dog training is building a house, right? So they, they call you up because they got cracks in the wall. So you come in, you see the cracks in the wall, they're, they're telling you how they've been patching it and the crack keeps coming back, keeps coming back and they want this crack fixed. Me, I'm the guy, I end up going down to the basement and they're like, well, where are you going? Like, going to look at your foundation. Oh, see, your foundation's crooked. And all they keep talking about is, well, I just want the crack in the wall fixed. Yeah, 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 screw the crack in the wall. Your foundation is fucked. And if we don't fix this, you're just gonna constantly have more cracks. And when I explain it to them that way, they finally stop worrying about turning their dog into an astronaut or making a martini. And they then realize, oh, maybe I've been looking at it wrong. And coming up with those analogies is really, I mean, that, that's my bread and butter, man. That's what I have just worked on and honed to try to get past these psychological and emotional objections that pet owners have. And I'll be honest with you, sport trainers have emotional objections to various concepts, just like working dog guys still have their own set of emotional objections to various concepts. The concepts that they're objecting to are usually different. Right. So like the pet dog person, I got to convince them they maybe need to punish a little bit more or even contemplate it at all. And some of the working dog folks I, I still continue to work with, I'm trying to get them to help their dog a little bit more and loosen up a little bit and see things differently. So everybody, whether it's working, sport or pet, they ha everyone has varying degrees of these emotional based objections or challenges and so the key is how to get past those whether you're working with a canine handler and you got to figure him out like you said you got to work with the person in front of you like how do i get this concept across to him that no dude we got to help this dog understand a little bit more we got to paint a clearer picture for him we don't just need to crank him right now the same way i got to tell this pet owner well your dog's growling at you and everyone in the house maybe he shouldn't be spooning with you every night 
that's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that might I have to go ask the owner of the King Corso if they've been smooth spooning. <laughs> Um, well, just uh, we're going to take it, a we're going to take a second. And uh, speaking of foundation, we're going to take a second to uh, hear from our sponsors. We come back. We're going to get into some learning theory and how some of the uh, or a lot of the things that apply to the pet world go right over to the working dog world. If you're a handler, you want to pay attention. We'll be right back. Hey, guys, Eric here. If you listen to Working Dog Radio or follow me on social media, Van S. Canine, you know that I am involved in a wide variety of aspects of the dog world. I am a police dog trainer, pet dog trainer. I own dog daycare and I am a pet owner. So I have a wide variety of needs when it comes to gear for the dogs, daily living things for the dogs, all kinds of items, training, anything possible I need. I go to one place, rayallen.com. Rayallen.com is a one-stop shop for everything dog related. Anything you could possibly need, check them out, rayallen.com. They've been doing a long time. Great customer service, super high integrity at that place, rayallen.com. Put in promo code Working Dog Radio for 10% off your next order. Ted and I love that place. RayAllen.com. Get on there. Click everything you need. Ship it all at once. RayAllen.com for all things dogs. Let's take a second and talk about canine training seminars. You definitely don't want to shortchange yourself when it comes to this type of stuff. That's why you should join Eric and I at HITS in Chicago this year, the week of August 13th to the 16th. That's 2019. We know training budgets are always tight, especially for canine, and that's why HITS goes the extra mile for you guys. Now, let's be honest. There's no other canine training conference on the planet like HITS that has a depth and breadth of instructors. HITS has now gotten so large and so successful that the 2019 conference will be held in the largest convention center in North America. That's Chicago's McCormick Place. There's no secret as to why these guys are so successful. It's because canine handlers want to learn from canine trainers who are police dogs themselves. That's because real world experience matters when it comes to these type police dog trainers. The guys who run HITS are still working police dogs just like the guys listening to this podcast. HITS is the real deal because it's run by real current police dog handlers and trainers. HITS has had 1,100 people in attendance this year in Washington, D.C. That was actual numbers. Eric and I were there. I promise. It was busy. You don't want to miss your chance to be part of that kind of training and more importantly that kind of networking and information exchange. Visit them on the web and register early to save some money. You just got to go to hitscanine.net to register and save big time. There's also information there about discounts for the hotel and where the hotel's at. Hits has three full days of training with five open classrooms going on all at the same time. Hits always does a survey at the end of the conference to take suggestions for new training classes for the coming year. Your core classes in detector training, techniques, drug case, case law updates, patrol tactics, training techniques for real world deployments just keep getting better and better and better. And then you have the multiple classes about bomb detection that's taught by different instructors to give you different ideas. And the list doesn't stop there. Handlers who work dogs in jails and in prisons have classes set up specifically for them to address specific issues for those environments. And they want to learn from guys that are doing that actively now. And they are. What if you want to learn about canine nutrition or emergency first aid? They got it covered. What if you're a canine supervisor who doesn't even work a dog and never has, but you need to know how to run a unit better? They've got some of the best in the industry that are going to be there running classes specifically for that. So go check out what's new. HitsK9.net, the letter K, the number nine. Another reason why Hits is the most popular canine training conference is the vendors. There's going to be a hundred vendor booths, all the best canine gear on the market. Come join us at Hits and meet the guys who make the stuff you use every single day at work. Our vendors make coming to Hits an experience like nothing else. There's raffles every day that you don't even have to sign up for. And they gave away, I think it last count, 40 grand worth of stuff last year while we were there. And it was fantastic. So hit them up. Hits, the letter K, the number nine, dot net. 
Eric here. Like many trainers, Ted and I go through toys with the hard, super chewer dogs we typically have in our kennel. So we need toys designed to withstand the grueling reality of high-drive working dogs. That's where USA Canine Dog Toys excel. Their toys are made from an extremely durable rubber compound. They have reward toys as well as food dispenser toys, all made to last and are very affordable. All the toys are military-themed. Go to the website, www.usa-canine.com. Check out the grenade-shaped toys. They got the cherry bomb. They got a lot of other great things over there, military-themed toys. Here's the best part. A portion of all USA Canine proceeds go to support military working dogs and other veterans organizations. And that's freaking badass. www.usa-canine.com. Use the promo code K. 9 Pro or check them out on Instagram at USA Canine Dog Toys. Hey everybody, it's Ted. Let's take a break for a second. Let's talk about Dogtra. We make no bones about the fact that Eric and I love Dogtra. In fact, we've been users of them since long before we even started the podcast, and it's one of the reasons that we approached them to be sponsors of the show. We typically only want to have stuff on here that we actually use and that we can stand behind and endorse. Dogtra is one of those companies. They've been at it for a long time and are industry leaders when it comes to production of reliable, consistent training equipment for your dog, whether it be poppers and droppers, whether it be e-collars or now, They've got the new GPS one, which Eric has been playing with, and he really, really likes it. So what I want everyone to do is head to dogtra.com. You get a 10% off of any item over $200, and you use the discount code WDR10. That's just like the initials of the show, Working Dog Radio, WDR10. Hit them up. Highland Canine Training, LLC. To all of my fellow LE Canine guys, Highland Canine should definitely be on your short list of vendors when it comes time to adding to your unit or replacing one of your dogs. Highland Canine offers green and pre-trained single and dual purpose dogs if you train in-house. But most importantly, they offer a full service canine academy with canine handlers courses, canine instructors courses, specialized advanced canine training, and canine supervisors courses. Jason and his staff of instructors have been there and done that in this game. They run these classes year-round, so go to their awesome website at www.tactical police canine training.com that's tactical police the letter k the number nine training.com and make your unit better let me take a second and talk to the explosive handlers here. Everybody knows that HME is a huge problem now. And the problem with training on it is that it's extremely dangerous. And a lot of times you guys only get access to it a couple of times a year, which is not enough. Nobody wants to handle TATP or HMTD. So enter TrueScent Canine. That's TrueScent, the letter K, the number nine, dot com. They manufacture an actual odor, not a pseudo. It's an actual explosive odor suspended in silica. So they do TATP. HMTD, RDX, TNT, PETN, ammonium nitrate, potassium chlorate, and they do a distractor odor too so that you can proof the dogs off of the training aids, but it's actual explosive odor suspended in silica. It's safe to handle. You're not going to blow yourself up. You're not going to endanger anyone else. And the dogs, through verified testing that TrueScent has done, will alert on both the training aids and then actual HME odor down the line through training. So hit them up, TrueScentK9.com. That's the letter K, the number nine, TrueScentK9.com. All right, we are back. Working Dog Radio, Ted and I, with Katie Matthews. You can find him on as KD Matthews on Instagram, uh, katiematthews.com. 
as a website. I've always wanted to be cool enough to have my own name as my own website. Um, I don't even know if I own my own fucking name. So, uh, so, so you have patnolan.com, you have katymatthews.com. We always said Eric Stambro was not, ericstambro.com was not going to be for dog training. It was going to be something else. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's definitely for something else. But uh, Tumblr got rid of that. So, but, um, <laughs> yeah. So, so um, we, we mentioned learning theory earlier and we talked about. Um, when when, I, when we've interviewed other handlers or other trainers, big, well-known folks, man, awesome, awesome folks, people that we all look up to uh, that um, train pet dogs, train working dogs and everything, they'll talk about um, operant conditioning and classical conditioning, and they'll mention it as an aside. Um, like, you know, we're trying to use all four quadrants of operant conditioning, like everyone knows what they're talking about. And... Um, a lot of the people don't and or or go, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Cool. Got it. But they don't know. And so what we're going to do is I, I've asked Katie to, to to get into that part with us, kind of go over what each one is. These will be things you probably remember from your childhood and school and kind of give us a, a like um, what each one is and an example of one that people can relate to. Well, the first, the, the, the very first thing that must be said is everybody does this stuff. Because when you start talking about opera conditioning and classical conditioning, when you start using those words in certain circles, and I'm not talking about pet dog circles, um, there are hmm. many people who start to... Uh, you see the wrinkles in their forehead as they make a face and they're like, oh, you know, I saw someone recently talk about uh, they made a comment. Yeah, I, I'm not into this this newfangled terminology. I'm like, new? Uh, this stuff's old as shit. Are you kidding me? I mean, I don't think Pavlov's still around and kicking. Um, it, it's not new and it's not something you can say, oh, I don't do that. Or, no, I train this way. I don't do that operating conditioning stuff. Everybody is using classical conditioning and operant conditioning every single day. They're interacting with their dog, whether they know the vocabulary or not. So I, I think that's important to start with. Um, okay. As far as what does this shit mean? Um, it's very simple. When we're talking about operant conditioning, you hear people talk about the quadrants, like you mentioned. Um, that, that word in and of itself kind of gives people anxiety. Um, it, it's very simple, guys. Very simple. Behavior is behavior. It doesn't matter if we're talking about a dog, a guinea pig, or your spouse. Um, it, it's irrelevant. All things learn in a variety of ways. And one of those ways is by the consequences they experience from their actions. So you make a choice, something happens. Whatever that thing is that happens is gonna dictate whether you do that thing again or you don't. So when we look at behavior, we can break it down into two categories as far as there's behaviors we want more of and there's behaviors we want less of. Great, easy. If we want more of something, we're gonna reinforce it. Pretty much everybody is familiar with the term positive reinforcement. It's become quite 
the popular thing to say, uh, even if mm. you don't know what it means or you don't know how to apply it correctly, just saying it makes you a better person. And unicorns will start dancing around you and pixie dust will fall from the sky. Um, it's a powerful tool. It's the addition of a consequence of a something that at the end of a behavior that makes the behavior happen again. And you can use it wonderfully to create behaviors. There's another way you can create behavior. Negative reinforcement. And that is the removal of something as a consequence. Um, the analogy I like to use for negative reinforcement, there's two of them. Um, your seatbelt buzzer. So you get in a car and you gotta put your seatbelt on. How does the engineer of that car who can't talk to you, can't communicate with you, doesn't even know you. How can he get you to put your seatbelt on? Well, what they do is they create something in the environment that you don't like. Beep, beep, beep. And let's face it, most of us can't stand that sound. And then so we put the seatbelt on and what happens as soon as we put the seatbelt on? Sound, sound goes away. Negative reinforcement doesn't have to uh, mean excruciating pain. Um, probably the most agonizing form of negative reinforcement would be my girlfriend nagging me until I do something. And then when I do it, she stops nagging. Women are wonderful at operant conditioning, by the way. Um, they're <laughs> masters, masters at it. Um, we experience this stuff all the time. And when we look at it that way, it should help make it clearer to how we can use it with our dogs. Uh, a big question people have is around negative reinforcement. I find a lot of people, trainers included, use the term incorrectly because people get hung up on these words positive and negative. You know, they, they think positive means smiley face emoji. And you know, like when I'm talking with millennials, like I got to use the word emoji because they know what that means more. Like, oh, well, don't think a smiley face for positive and a frowny face for negative. Think an addition sign and a subtraction sign. And then they're like, oh, OK, that makes sense. Negative reinforcement mm -hmm. isn't a yank on a collar. If anything, it would be pressure on a collar. And then the minute that the dog yields to the pressure, releasing that pressure. Uh, I, negative reinforcement is huge in bite work. Massive, massive, powerful tool we can use when we're teaching a dog to push forward into a bite or teaching a dog how to deal with the pressure of a confrontation. So you have a dog in a bite and you want him to push forward. You want him to learn that going through pressure or aversive experiences is what will make them go away. So if I got a dog who doesn't like my hand, you know, a foot from his, or covering his eyes, I might cover his eyes while he's on that bite. He might be at a three quarter bite. And I keep, I keep it just there enough, knowing the dog, of course, and knowing you're not pushing too far. And then the minute I get the slightest advance in behavior that I want, because remember, we're trying to create behavior. I want him to bite me harder. I want him to push forward more. The minute I get a millimeter of that behavior, I'll uncover his eyes, or I'll move my hand farther away, or I'll, I'll do something that takes away that pressure I know he doesn't care for. So what does he learn? I can make that go away by doing this. And it's your job as the trainer to identify what that is and take it away. So it crosses over from teaching a pet dog how to walk properly on a leash 
to a working dog how to deal with channeling his own aggression in an appropriate manner to make a to solve a problem that he's experiencing so that's how we create behavior the other side i said there's going to be behaviors we don't want to see we want less of them so we can give a correction which is the word we all know that's the yank on a collar or a high power stim on an e-collar that's positive punishment that's the net word freaks everybody out how can punishment be positive well i'm adding a consequence after a behavior that hopefully is going to make that behavior decrease in frequency or stop altogether and this this is one where i see a lot of working dog folks sport handlers um I wish they would use a little bit more negative reinforcement versus positive punishment. If you have to give a correction over and over and over again, guess what? That correction sucks. It's not working. Mm -hmm. Instead of thinking about stopping the behavior, think of, well, how can I create a different behavior? So, you know, it's people get kind of twisted on that and they rely on those corrections to try to get them through situations when in reality, they didn't spend enough time thinking about what behavior they wanted to create as opposed to, well, I'll just fix it with a yank on the collar. And, you know, the longer I've trained and the more dogs I handle, the less I have to use that because I spend more time creating behavior than I do having to stop it. And then when I do have to stop it, it doesn't affect the relationship because we're already clear on what I want you to do. So positive punishment is that, you know, um, we'll come up with a human example. You, uh, you're on a first date, you put your arm around the girl a little bit too early in the evening and boom, she Mm -hmm. smacks you across the face. There you go. That's a consequence that's going to tell you not to do that behavior, right? Um, And with a dog, it's what we think of as corrections or these, you know, yanking on a collar or using high stem momentary, like a nick, um, that's going to create a consequence that the dog is not going to like. And hopefully the dog associates it with the behavior. Uh, Lots of times people struggle with that part, but we'll get into that later. The last one, I save it for last because it's kind of like, we really don't use it a whole lot. It's pretty limited and that's negative punishment. Um, If we're talking about humans, negative punishment is taking your kid's Xbox away. I'm gonna take away something that you like as a consequence for the behavior I wanna stop. So your kid talks back to you, all right, take away the Xbox. You're taking something away. Uh, women are women are really really good at this one too. Um, they do this with affection all the time. You come home, you say you're going to be home at nine o'clock, um, but happy hour runs a little bit late. You walk in at midnight, and guess what? You're not going to get any of that night. <laughs> Take it. <laughs> we we yeah, can all right. kind of chuckle because we've been oh, there, oh. man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So they just take away sleep by bitching at you. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That, that, that too, (laughs) that too. 
Um, but we can see with, with dogs, that's a little tricky. And when some people think about using, you know, I, I hear this in the pet dog world. Luckily, I don't think you guys have to hear this too much with giving the dog a timeout. Yeah, as a crock of horse shit. Yeah, people really do that. They really believe that works. It's like, no, it doesn't work that way with dogs. No. Now, there are some cases where I have been able to use it with dogs. Um, I got a dog right now. I'm working this young uh, Dutchie female who is just, I mean, she's psycho. She gets out to the end of the leash. She sees me. She knows what time it is. And she's doing cartwheels, man like out of control working on getting her handler tighter with her um but if when, when i see the dog in that situation i'm not even worried about the handler at that point it's like listen i can control the dog easier than i can the handler so what i'll do is i know what she wants right she wants to bite me she loves it so i come out and if she's acting in a way that i don't like which is not focused being spazzy um <laughs> i back up like that's it. I yeah. remove my presence. Right. I back up. And finally, she's like, it's going to. Now, in that case, that dog, what does that dog want? That dog doesn't want me to back up. That dog wants me to come closer because she enjoys the game that we play, biting me. And she's good at that. So, in, in order to kind of get her to stop some of these other behaviors that I don't like because they're going to interfere with the control that she needs to have. I, I remove myself, I back up, and then she shuts up. And as soon as she shuts up, I start coming in again. Man, it only took that dog like maybe three and a half minutes of doing that to clear it up. Now, if I don't work regularly, we kind of have to go through another, you know, I got to refresh her a little bit. But right. yanking on her collar, giving her corrections with a pinch, which is what a previous trainer tried to do, all that did was... You know, you guys know the dog like that. Let's go do a stimulate him more and, and fire him up even more. It's, it's not going to be an effective punisher. Um, and that so that case is one of the few ones where I can say I was able to use negative punishment to stop a behavior. But it's, it's really not that common. There aren't a lot of applications for negative punishment with dogs. I, I we're going to hang out in the other quadrants much more. Yeah, it works a lot with horses. And that's yes. why a lot of horse trainers, in fact, we've had Kendall on, uh, who owns St. Working Dogs, but uh, she's a perfect example. And, you know, I mean, a lot of horse people come over, a lot of dog people and similar. So one of the things that you mentioned that I don't yell at, or I say to my handlers a lot, that is basically... Um, we we deal with what we call competing motivators a ton in working dogs. Now, in pet dogs, it's not that big of a deal usually. Usually with competing motivators with pet people, you know, you deal with a dog that pulls and wants to go to everybody else but the handler or the owner and get pets or treats or whatever the fuck it is or go see every fucking dog in the world and everything else. So everything is more interesting than the handler. In, in working dogs, especially in search and rescue or in explosives dogs, we need an independent dog that is still handler attentive. 
So we are constantly riding the line between the ability to manipulate the dog via the handler, but as a handler, but also have the dog work independently away from us without a lot of handler influence or a lot of handler input. And that causes a lot of issues too in the bite work side without. So we build these dogs and build these dogs and build these dogs. And people have quoted me and I say this all the time. I'd rather have a dog that won't out than one that won't bite. Cause I can make a motherfucker out anytime I want, but I can't make him bite. I can't make him track. I can't make him fight drugs. Right. So, and then when that ends up happening, guys go back to their training groups and you have a dog with a pristine out or whatever. And then they start fucking yanking them. They do everything you tell them not to do. So it creates a ton of confusion. And uh, Bradshaw did a good episode on this, and I've talked to him at length. There's been quite a few people that talk about this all the time. But that shit gets confused and clouded uh, with competing motivators. So, like, literally we build these dogs to the point where, like, the only thing they want to do is fucking bite people. And, like, that's their job. They find drugs or bombs and bite shitheads. Like, that's it. That's their job. So then when we ask them to out or we ask them to do all these crazy things and part of the selection process, which you mentioned, is important for pets so it's also super important for police dogs because we have dogs that are you know kind of possessive and you know can be defensive or are defensive and then if they get in an actual fight they're like fuck you I'm not going to do this and so then at that point it becomes a pissing match between um, trainers or handlers or whatever about my dog Alice and he does it and this that and the other so kind of talk about maintaining clarity with these these uh, these quadrants like having a defined plan like saying we're going to work on this and this that and the other and saying how this is how you address a competing motivator which I see when I deal with guys that are canine handlers that are in police work that are having issues with their dogs that aren't related to detection work it is a hundred and ten percent competing motivators or lack of clarity Clarity is what I would focus on in everything you said. Um, Because without clarity, we can't address anything else. And I, I constantly tell my students, you have to know 24 hours a day what your dog wants. It all starts, because we're talking about, you know, when we talk about competing motivators, we're talking about motivators. So we're talking about things that your dog wants, right? So I have found a disturbing number of people have no clue what their dog actually wants in a given situation from moment to moment. And before we can talk about how to deal with competing motivators, how about you identify what the hell your dog wants? Whether it's my dog wants to go out through this door right now, because he knows he's got to take a dump and we're going to go outside or he knows this is where we play or you've got a bird killer whose pupils dilate and they start salivating when they see a bird. Okay, well, guess what? Your dog wants that bird right now, right? So we need to be able to first identify what those motivators are. What are the factors that your dog wants at all times? And once we can get people looking at that and identifying that, then we can get the beginning of clarity for the human. Because as I'm sure you've seen, when you when you get a handler who's having, especially when it comes to the out, they're having issues with outing. 
chances are they've been there's a lack of clarity because they don't quite completely understand everything the dog wants from moment to moment and they're going about solving this problem in a in a way that's actually making the problem worse like a lot of guys will start working on outing and what happens to the bite guess what the bite gets stronger and better <laughs> i mean oh yeah like, <laughs> we, had a, we had a discussion on Justin Rigney's page the other day, or well, I don't know when this is going to air, but like the last, the last couple weeks ago about that. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's one way that we build bites and <laughs> we create opposition. And <laughs> I don't ask dogs to out until I'm super clear about how I'm going to do it and how they're going to do it and the conditions for doing it and everything else. But yeah, I mean, that's how we build bites. So, I mean, we teach handlers to pull on leashes to set grips, right? I mean, that's like sport dog. Anytime a dog bites anything that's remotely related to a person, I don't care, sport, whatever. And put tension on the leash. <laughs> put tension on the leash. Yeah. And then you go up, and then they're like, out, out, out. They're fucking yanking on them. You're like, hey, hold on a second. Drop that. Just let go of the leash. Like, stop. <laughs> don't touch it. Just stand back and hold on a second. And all of a sudden, and it's kind of the same thing. Like, decoys are just as bad. And when you have an inexperienced decoy, and, you know, they're tensed up. They're doing all the wrong shit inside the suit. You know, they're creating opposition at the same time the handler is. They're not on the same page. So the dog is stuck between a tug of war between one dipshit and another one. And then the dog won out. And they're like, what a new one out? And I'm like, uh, I do. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, and so what do they re- what do they rely on in that I'll situation? Yeah. What's that? They, they start punishing. They'll yeah. go to start oh, yanking yeah. and cranking yeah. at that point. And then it all exactly. shit just explodes in their face. Yeah. Yeah. And there's still, I still, you know, train with guys all over the place. Again, when I came into canine, uh, all the only thing you were given was beside your dog was the leash and uh, uh, choke chain. Uh, occasionally you get a dog, you know, a person would use a fur saver, but it, it's this essentially the same thing. Choke chain and a leash, maybe a harness for tracking or whatever. They only used e-collars for the worst of the worst dogs. Um, and then they, and that was only for outing and only for recall. And then they only used prong collars uh, on dogs that just weren't getting... You know, they're just not getting this obedience thing. They're just not getting it. We get, we'll put a prong collar on, and that'll that'll save it. And and I've mentioned this before. So I was in a 14 week class in week 12, 12. Like we're going to graduate in two weeks. We're still uh, shutting the gates of the field and blocking it off with a car because we're going to go off leash. Um, and they never figured out that that could have been an issue. And now I, none of my guys get choke chains or fur savers but I still go to a ton of training groups and that's all they use and um, they don't use any other tools oh no we don't need to use e-collars we don't use prong collars we we have these choke chains or fur savers for you know fur savers they're because they're better for the throat and uh, every time I meet their trainer he's from the 80s or early 90s every time or learned under someone like that because listen when I took over as as the head trainer um, of my unit um, I started that's how I did it you know that's what I knew and then I started realizing like dude I am we're spending a fucking hour out here doing obedience and aren't much better an hour 
So right, we ended up having week to, old, you know, there's twelve week old puppies that can do that shit. <laughs> twelve week old workout yeah, no shit. <laughs> they can do that. And you're Dudes like, are coming oh, from other training groups. Right, like, you're like, what are you guys doing? God damn, man. Like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> yeah. So, um, one last thing before we we start wrapping up, I have a, I have a question, and I don't know, it might be difficult, but we're gonna try to translate from pet to, to working dog world. So, as for those of you who are not pet trainers, don't know, um, a lot of the dogs that we see on the pet side are uh, dogs that have um, behavioral issues, whether it be anxiety or reactivity or things like that, that are created by the relationship between the owner and the dog. Um, they like to say that it's because they that the thought that the dog might have been abused or bullshit, some other bullshit, thing. Bullshit. Right. right. He's, a, he's a rescue, so he's obviously a piece of shit. So, um, but it's, it's created by the, the pet owners and the way they interact and live with the dog. Uh, we see a lot of things that um, organically disappear about an hour after the dog is in our hands and the owners are at home. Um, so if you could pick a few things, Katie, that, that we see relationship-wise with the owners and their dogs on the pet side that working dog people would do that would create, create some behavioral problems and maybe it'll ring a bell with some people. Oh, I mean, with relationship, it's there are some polar opposites with the problems that they have. So it's, there's only a couple things that kind of have some overlap that are similar and communication in the relationship is a problem for everybody with a dog. I don't care if you got a shield on or you're wearing an apron. Uh, people are struggling to communicate with their dogs within their relationship. Way too much uh, overestimating what the dog actually understands. And especially when you're trying to teach new behaviors, you're trying to create behavior, you're trying to establish something within the relationship and expectation of how to behave or um, how we're gonna do things. Um, people tend to overestimate because they've said something a couple times, suddenly when the dog doesn't do it, oh, he's being stubborn. Oh, this dog's a dick. Oh, yeah. He's, he's telling me to go screw myself, you know? Um, no, no. How about this? How about he doesn't understand what you want because you suck at communicating? Because let's face it, as humans, we struggle with communicating with our own species. We can't do it face-to-face. -face. We're even worse at it online. And uh, we're, we're going to take that measuring stick and now suddenly think that this dog is actually being defiant to us because in order to be defiant one must have a clear concept of what is being asked of them right i can't defy something if i don't understand it so when you say your dog is being stubborn or you say the dog is being defiant how do you even know that he completely understands what you want? And that comes down to the daily pictures that we show our dogs. And I've seen this on the trial field. I've seen this in the training club. I've seen this in the, uh, the canine videos that get sent to me on the low, <laughs> um, where, you know, I'll see a handler blasting a dog because he's being stubborn and defiant. 
And just based on looking at that dog for five seconds, I can tell that dog hasn't been shown the correct picture. He actually got shown pictures that look like defiance and allowed to do it. Or in some way, and this kind of it goes back to what Ted was talking about with competing motivators. And, you know, you show these dogs the wrong picture and you don't realize you showed them that picture because you weren't paying attention because you lack clarity or you're not sure of what the dog wants. And that relationship starts getting really confusing. And when the relationship gets confusing, that's when you start getting the aggression issues. That's when you start getting a... Um, reactivity and aggression and fear and you know with with, with like with mouths and duchies two things are going to happen when that relationship goes that way one you're going to ruin the dog it's going to shut down it's done or two you're going to the hospital like that's what happens when a relationship with a malinois goes bad because you couldn't communicate properly in the pet world it's not as extreme unless they saw the movie Max and decided they wanted to get a Malinois. Um, it, it's a, the consequences are different. Usually what's going to happen is they're out in public. Their dog's going to eat another dog. Their dog's going to bite someone. Their dog might bite them. Um, usually pet owners don't get bit as often themselves because they avoid the confrontation because they're, they're scared. Like They're like, screw this. I'm not dealing with it. As opposed to maybe a working dog person who's like, oh, really? You just flip me the bird? Well, oh, there's that you know. meme going around from the whole deal. It was like, did you just growl at me? Excuse the fuck out of me. Did you just threaten me? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. Believe me. <laughs> so, you know, on both worlds, you know, Eric, question about, you know, a commonality and relationship issues. Man, if I had to pick one to be able to share with whoever's going to listen to hopefully ring home to everybody, whether it's, you know, pet or working dog. Look at your communication. Like, how do you know that your dog knows? Can you explain what you did to teach him? Like, what process did you go through? How many repetitions did you do? What pictures did you show him that make you so convinced that he's he knows it and he's being defiant? And a lot of people take shortcuts in that process from, you know, on both sides of the fence. And then they look at the dog and they think the dog is telling them to go pound salt. And then they get rough and they're going to punish disobedience. And now that relationship turns to shit in a fraction of a second. Because once trust is broken, man, it's hard to get it back. And if you're on the streets and, you know, that dog is your partner, you can't have a dog who doesn't trust you. You can't have a dog who thinks you're unpredictable. You can't have a dog who is going to try to make a certain decision on his own because he doesn't trust your ability to make it. Like, that's going to lead to problems that have much more severe consequences than, you know, the Labrador that doesn't understand where to take a dump. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yes, and for the last time, your dogs do not understand sentences. Stop having fucking long, drawn-out conversations with your dog because they don't uh, know what you're talking uh, about. That's one thing it's, I say. It's, it literally I... is. <laughs> I do believe Charlie Brown's teacher was that Charlie Brown's teacher was invented by a dog trainer who was imitating the sound that a dog hears when you're talking to them. 
sit, I use that example all the time. I do too. Ted, I think a while ago, a while ago I saw you posted a video. Yeah, I mean, this is like over a year ago. But I remember you were posting a video of something. You were working with some puppies and you had your beats on and you were just going through it, teaching some behaviors. And I made some kind of comment to you like, oh, well, you're not, you know, no conversation, da 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 And you're like, yeah, we talked to them a whole lot. Like people don't understand the power of silence. Like just shut your mouth and interact uh, with the dog for a while. Like that's, that's one of more. my that's one of my things. I always have my beats on. Even today, like I, I posted videos today, or, or I don't know, somebody did either one of Talisha or Scott or somebody, did. and we're doing bite work, and I had my beats on. I'm not on on, but they're on, and they're playing music, and they're around my neck, so I can still hear them. Like while I'm handling a dog and letting them bite one of my handlers, and then you know I'm you know still commanding the dog and everything else. But I I'm very much that way, and I'm very much one of the things I say during all of my handler schools the first day of class is the one thing you're going to hear me say well one of the several things you're going to hear me say over and over again <laughs> right. is one command one behavior if I hear you repeat yourself I'm going to ask you why and you know the dog either doesn't know what the fuck you're asking him or he didn't hear you so before you correct him, you got to make sure he, you know, he heard you and you need to know that he knows that you know that he knows that you know that he heard you. And <laughs> that was that a lot. Is, I, I'm fucking lost. No, the, I mean, everybody's got to know because <laughs> I mean, no, my personal dog, if he thinks that he heard me, but he's not sure if I knew that he did, he'll be like, oh, and he'll look at me sideways. And I'm like, oh, fuck you, dude. And he knows I he knows that I know that he heard me, but he's not sure that he knows that I know that he knows that I heard me. So everybody's got to be on the same page. So, you know, I tell my handlers, I'm like, one command, one behavior. And you don't say out 47 times. You don't say sit 47 times. You don't say down 47 times. You don't say search 47 times. You don't, you do, you say one command, one behavior. He either heard you or he didn't. And if he didn't, fine, repeat it. If he did, then we go into will. And here's something I always tell, here's something I tell handlers when we're tracking Tracking is where I see it the most, too, is your dog, while you're talking to your dog while he's working and you're talking to him and talking to him, he is listening to you. He doesn't know what you're saying, so he's listening and trying to concentrate to what you're saying, concentrate on, and then he is not tracking and he's not working because he's too busy trying to listen what your dumbass is saying. Yeah. Shut up. Watch your dog and, and and let them do their thing. You told him to track, he's tracking. Let him work yeah. it. And you I know, and during, fix a little things appreh- here and there, but shit. During apprehension. Yeah, good so track. You're doing good. Yeah. No, that, during my apprehension stuff and tracking, I, I tell my handlers, I'm like, the only thing you need to be saying to your dog or saying around the dog is, let me cuff you up and I'll take your dog off. And <laughs> yeah. Like, that's it. Like, show me your hands is the other one. Show me your hands is the bite command. Like, I mean, people are like, oh, you need to see still? I'm like, no, you need to let go of the leash. Show me your hands is the bite command, and then let me cuff you, up, cuff you up, and I'll take the dog off. Like, that's the only thing you need to be saying. That's it. You need to be saying, stop fighting the dog. You need to be saying, good boy, nothing. Don't say any of that fucking bullshit. Just say, let me cuff you up. In fact, I posted a video on my Instagram story today of me handling a dog named Enzo that bites like a goddamn alligator and is one of those, like, weird dogs that just bites so hard his eyeballs come out of his head. 
head. And, you know, I mean, he's one of those dogs that you can roll up on him like the scene in fucking Braveheart where everybody just charges him and he doesn't care. You can just trample him and you can reach down and grab his collar and pop him off with a brake stick. But if you're like, let me, and it's visible. I've done it to him so many times I can say, let me cuff you up and I'll take the dog off. Even when he's just on a bite sleeve with somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, right? And he knows that I'm about to come up. So he prepares himself. Like he puts his feet out and he like settles, settles in and he regrips and digs in harder and he starts like, you know, getting kind of loose and then he lets me pop him off. No problem. I mean, it's super easy, but it's just let me cuff you up and I'll take the dog off. Other than that, he bears down like he's going to die <laughs> if he if he comes mm-hmm. off. So, which is what I want, which is what we teach, but that's a completely other conversation. Anyway. All right. So Katie, um, where, um, you're launching all this stuff. I know you have the yeah. katiematthews.com. Um, the new company that you have, what what's it called again? It's called Socratic, like Socrates, Socratic uh-huh. Canine, C-A-N, you know, the word canine spelled out. Um, I, I got the site. It's going to be up. I mean, literally, I'm hoping within days from now um, to have everything at least up and running and there's a home for it. Socratic Canine.com. Um, in the meantime, KD Matthews and Matthews has one T in it, like math class with an EW at the end. Um, KDMatthews.com has all my my blog. I give away tons of free information, like tons. Um, and it's all on that site. And that's the Instagram as well, at KDMatthews. So either way, I'm not hard to find. And I make a lot of yeah, noise get on, on there. Instagram. So. Oh, yeah. Make sure you follow him. You'll see the mustache that we're talking about. Um, He looks like he could grow a beard in about 48 hours, a full beard from nothing to Santa Claus in 48 hours. Um, (laughs) There's some hat. There's some hat changes in some of these videos. There's uh, uh, different stuff. But um, make sure I'll, I'll do that. I'll tell you guys this. If you're asking questions on his question and answer <laughs> think think about your question and make sure you ask something that's not like vague and goofy because um oh he'll answer it it'll, it'll get answered you're just not gonna like it <laughs> and you're gonna be butter but then if, but if you go back and listen to it you're like yeah yeah actually that was pretty stupid i kind of left that uh you know What's the best breed of dog? N- don't, don't stop. Don't, don't ask that question and things like that. Um, so, but anyways, man, I, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I know Thanks I did uh, that live thing with you yeah, on Instagram. We had a good time. That was fun. I just had someone message me today about that, by the way. Um, saying oh, how really? they really enjoyed that conversation that you and I had. So a little feedback there. Kudos. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Ted, uh, we got some things coming up uh, real quick, man. Let's, we got uh, um, the, the high-risk deployment canine training seminar coming up in San Antonio. Yes. That's, yes, that's San Antonio. in a few weeks, right? Uh, well, about a month. Is, it's about a month. Let me look it up. It's February in with Exeter County. And I'm, I think... By the time this airs, it'll be a few weeks away. Um, but it is. Yeah, and Ray tells us it's filling up. Like he's getting tons of people registering. So if you're right. down in that Texas area, or you can drive to the San Antonio area. Don't. I'm telling you, don't wait till middle of February and go. Oh, I think I'll go to this because there's limited slots for working slots and for auditors. 
And yeah, um, everybody knows how fucking canine handlers are and cops. So they would have the last fucking minute to put it in for training hours. And so, <laughs> don't be that guy. Yeah, don't. Don't yeah, this isn't the, the gigantic conferences where a thousand people are going to come. We have limited spaces for this. And it's Ted and I um, and some other folks teaching scenario-based training. And we got yeah, yeah. badass decoys coming that we are going to work their asses off. Um, they, JJ and them guys can tell you when they've done stuff with, with us before. Um, we can be a bit of a taskmasters and, right, next dog, next dog, next dog. And they're like, I need a break. <laughs> Are you done? Okay, next yeah, dog, no. next dog, next dog. Mike, you don't get a break. <laughs> You'll chug, be, you're not, chug that half you're not a bottle gonna of die. water. You're not going to die, I promise. Go back to work. We got Sean, <laughs> Sean and Josh both to puke. Um, that was true. <laughs> that was from working after drinking, though, and so I have no sympathy. But um, <laughs> yeah. Bravo 3 is so, coming up in March in Daytona. Can't wait for yes. that. And uh, I think we have just solidified another date for, it looks like October, for HRD, for highest deployment, and Erie, Pennsylvania, if I remember correctly. Oh, sweet. So, um, Air, or, uh, Ray is kind of finishing that up. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it looks like we'll have a seminar pretty much every month except August. So, or September. Yep. Our we start. got Blue Line seminar coming up. Right. The that Blue Line Canine good. Seminar in That's Pittsburgh. April. Yep, yep, that's coming up. That's going to be a real good one. I like that one because it's an hour and a half from my house. So <laughs> I can uh, drive, get there, leave leave the same day, get there. It's going to be fun. Um, check out Hits. Hits is in Chicago this year in August. Yep. Hits is the, the conference to go to. Uh, if you like big, large police canine conferences, man, that, that, that shit is awesome there. That have um, badass instructors and that aren't owned by sex offenders. Yep, no yep. sex offenders so. own any of the seminars that we endorse. True story. Make that clear. That's a fact. So that, you heard us endorse every other seminar, but like three of them. Right. You should be able to figure that part out. Yeah. So I'm wait, I'm anyways, waiting. Katie, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yes, we had a great episode. Guys. Both of you. Yes. Thank a you. lot of knowledge spilled today. So Yes. Mucho, thank you. All right, on, on to the next one. We'll see you guys. Yes. Thanks. Talk to everybody soon. Right. Thank you, thank you. Yep. We love USA Canine Dog Toys. They are inspired by military objects and built to withstand the demanding use of professional canine handlers. USA Canine Dog Toys are made in the U.S. from a durable super chewer rubber compound. Ted and I love them and use them all the time. Go check them out at www.usa-k9.com. Use the promo code K9PRO. Everybody loves stuff that goes boom. And we couldn't talk about stuff that goes boom without talking about Tripwire Operations Group. They're some of the best in the industry at stuff that makes loud noises and blows stuff up. Specifically for guys in this podcast. If you're handling an explosive dog or you're a trainer of an explosive dog, they have one of the most well-rounded, ready-to-go kits in the correct amounts and odors for any national standard or state standard certification. Head over to tripwireops.org to check it out. They're headquartered in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and a group of first responders dedicated to serving first responders. They believe that the most highly trained and prepared first responders create a safer America. They prepare you guys and other first responders and military to protect our country by providing products, services, training, and relationships which together no one else provides. In fact, they've done several HME large hide courses recently, which is a really valuable thing for explosives handlers because you're not really able to get that much odor in one place at one time safely. And these guys do a fantastic job. Be sure to head over to tripwireops.org and check out the 
full list of classes they've got going on and have contact info there on the website. Again, tripwireops.org. Since 1987, Bill Heiser and Southern Coast Canine have been providing better training better service, and better dogs. Bill personally hand-selects every dog in Europe to ensure that the quality is always up to his standards. Every employee at Southern Coast Canine is charged with being a guardian of their values. Those values guide both their business and personal relationship. They believe that their dedication to the fundamental tenets of honesty, integrity, and fair business dealings ensure a legacy of success. So when you or your canine unit is looking for that dog, the one that will perform at the highest level, be sure to give Southern Coast Canine a call at 877-903-DOGS. That's 877-903-3647. Let them know that Eric and Ted from Working Dog Radio sent you. You got your reasons, I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.